0: Superhero movies are all the rage right now in pop culture. New stories and reboots of famous comic book characters such as Wonder Woman, Batman, Spider-Man, Black Panther, The Avengers, the list goes on and on. These stories are being told to audiences all over the world. For me, the most interesting parts of these stories is the origin portion, the part where you learn about how these people went from normal to, well, super. In today's episode, we will explore the origin story of Dr. Curtis Lowry. Dr. Lowry is the chair of the OBGYN department, maternal fetal medicine, and the director of the Center for Distance Health at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. He is also one of the many superheroes in the world of telehealth. So, join us on a journey that takes us from rural Alabama to Little Rock, Arkansas. Stay with us.
1: I grew up in Alabama in Jimison, Alabama, on a farm. We had a working farm. Um, we had cows, chickens, and pigs, and and we had tractors, and and uh, we we farmed, raised you know cows and sold them, and pigs, and we didn't really sell those guys. We just ate them <laughs> mostly. So, uh, and it was hard work, but I learned a lot of stuff. I learned how to be sort of independent and and solve problems. We lived about um, an hour from Birmingham, and an hour from Montgomery, so if something broke down you had to figure out ways of fixing it. So I think that carries over into the way I think about medicine today. Well, I always liked science. I was enamored with NASA and the space program and um, I liked science and um, in the ninth grade my science teacher said, have you ever thought about being a doctor? And I said, no, let me think about it. I thought about it, and I decided to do it, and I did it. I was hired on as a junior faculty in the department of um, How Would You Win after having done a fellowship in maternal fetal medicine and I was on the faculty at UAB for a couple of years prior to coming out here and um, started out and I had in, in the very beginning that I was going to continue to do research. I felt like you needed to be in uh, do academics if you're going to be in, in teaching institutions so since the very beginning I had always conducted research with ultrasounds and provided care care for people since the very um, early days. There's a fetal movement detection algorithm that's in the um, uh, metrics uh, now GE ultrasound uh, uh, fetal heart rate monitors, that's our algorithm. We wrote it many years ago um, and it still detects fetal movement in all the GE fetal heart monitors. We started out with uh, t- telemedicine, right, so that Idea being, um, we we they had a they were doing primarily education in using telemedicine in the rural areas, and so we started doing education. We started a high risk OB conference on Thursday mornings, and and um, as a result, of that we got exposed to to the modality, um, but no one really was doing much care delivery, you know, with it. And and I felt like it provided a venue by which we might be able to provide better care in the rural areas in the state of Arkansas, and so we started then looking to the possibility of providing care using this system, and and we created the Angels program to do that. You know, started out with one place at Willow Creek Women's Hospital in Northwest Arkansas, and expanded to the network we have here now. I never thought it was just a and high-risk OB program. I always thought it was going to be a systems approach to healthcare delivery that provide a new modality to do healthcare. I also felt like that the video conferencing that we did with it was just a, a part of it, you know, and that we, you do other things like guidelines and protocols and um, nurse call center and ultimately devices, you know, on patients in the field. Wherever there's a shortage of, of experts in a field, I think um, that's where distance health concept is, a, is available and it should be available. Arkansas is a very rural state in the, with some larger cities, but even the cities aren't that large. Little Rock's only a, a very small to moderate size city compared to Large cities like New York and Detroit and Chicago. So I think that um, this environment is particularly needy of, of a program that provides the knowledge readily available anywhere in the state on demand. OBGYN is a 24 7 program, so we, we created a 24 um, 7 program with nurses on call and and the ability to do consults around the clock. Um, you know, you you in OB, you have to often make split-second decisions. You know, things are often really you know dangerous for the fetus or the mother, and so you need to be able to have a system capable of supporting uh, practitioners. And, and when I say practitioners, I mean all kinds of practitioners, not just limited to other MDs, but uh, advanced uh, APRNs, PAs, nurses, and and uh, EMTs, and even like community health workers. We've been doing um, angels, which was primary high risk OB and neonatology, for for probably about four or five years, and then we knew that it had applications in other areas, and so the first spinoff was um, Arkansas Saves, which was a stroke program, again, with the idea that you would have people on call with special expertise, in this case vascular neurologists, and the vascular neurologist then would be available to go to the ER and see the patient, interact with the patient, and treat the patient over active video. And so that was the first kind of really full-blown program. And then now, since that time, we've just continued to look for other programs that work. Eventually, I think most subspecialists will be doing some kind of, of care. More recently, we're working with dermatology, orthopedics, infectious disease. And so I think it's really kind of limitless you know, as we move forward, particularly as we begin to have to change the way we pay for healthcare in a new way. Um, as we begin to pay, not per Uh, encounter, but more for care management, then these sorts of technologies like video conferencing and and, um, uh, devices, iPhones, iPads, will be um, deployed in a big way. I think money always gets in the way of many things in life. Um, OB, OB had had the advantage of uh, I inherited from Frank Miller and Jerry Quirk, the previous chairman before me, sort of um, interaction with OBGYN guys in the state. So we already had a good uh, program that interacted with physicians and supported them. So we we were able to easily sort of implant video conferencing as part of the program. they didn't feel threatened by that. We, we went out of our way to explain what we were doing with the healthcare providers, the hospital networks, the medical society, just to understand that we were, weren't trying to take business uh, from, from them, but we were trying to help them manage our patients more efficiently. Now, in other areas where there is more competition, it's been more problematic. But, you know, now we're beginning to get beyond that as we're beginning to modify the way we pay people in, in the healthcare system. And and as you go away from fee-for-service, as I've said, it will be natural that you'll be, begin to adapt this kind of a program. I think um, people are going to have to get out of their comfort zones a little bit and, and not assume that the way they've always done something, they can continue to do it that same way. The world changes um, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, I was downloading a book from Amazon.com you know, for my Kindle uh, program. Who would have thought that we would have done that even five or six years ago, you know, that, that you'd sell more books online than you do in, in from, a, from a book sales store? Uh, but that's the way it is. And so um, we book our airline tickets online now exclusively. You know, we bank, most of us bank online now. And this is the way it is. I mean, if you can't adapt to this attitude and, and technology, then you may struggle to make it in the new order. Americans need good, good health care at an affordable price. And companies have told told us, told me, that they're not going to continue to pay you know, the big money for health care that they're used, to, that they've been paying in the past. They feel like when they look at other countries and they see quality health care delivered at an affordable price, that, that America should be able to do the same. And I think we're going to have to, and I think technology is the way that we can do that. In academics, we're gonna to have to get used to providing care across a large group of patients, Working with other kinds of healthcare providers, and making a little bit off of a lot of interactions with patients rather than a lot off of a few patients. The problems with this is that um, distance technologies disrupt the traditional doctor-patient relationship, and what I mean by that um, since the beginning of of health and doctors and and um, Physicians, we have always, a patient would come to us or we'd go to their house and we'd establish a relationship with them by doing a history and a physical exam. And then that patient, um, I would have an oath with them for maintaining their personal records and their personal information. And I would have um, commitment to providing care to them, you know, quality care to that person. And I would become their doctor. Um, with technology, um, it doesn't. I can interact with a patient without seeing them in person, and they can. And so, that creates problems if you now provide care to that person without really having a relationship with them. I think it's very important that patients have a relationship with a healthcare provider, whether it's an APRN or a doctor or whoever. They need to have a relationship with with a provider. And that means somebody needs to do a history and physical examination on you probably every year, you know, at least once a year. After that, it's probably not necessary that you have to have a physical exam. Or if you need to be examined, technology could be used to examine you. So if, if you have a chest cold and, and you come to see me in my office, I would almost certainly listen to your chest when that happened. If, I, if you do a video conference with me, and you have a chest cold, can I really treat you without doing an exam on you and listening to your chest? Probably not. There are technologies that allow you to do that, but they're not used very much in healthcare delivery today. And so we're gonna to have to do a lot of modification in the way we approach this so that it can't be exactly like traditional healthcare where you come into the doctor's office but it can't be helter-skelter where you don't have any kind of relationship that's ongoing with the patient, and you're writing prescriptions and doing things to that patient forever without ever contacting anybody in the traditional healthcare system. I think both of these two extremes are bad, and we kind of need to negotiate for a center point that makes sense where you're maintaining quality, you have a relationship with a doctor, but your day-to-day routine stuff may be administered, in some non-traditional way like video conferencing um, um, and other forms of, of assessment, including things like blood pressure monitoring at home and, and um, that technology allows us to, to do things like way patients take pulse, pulse proximity, which is an oxygen management system, and monitor blood pressures and other, even glucose monitoring. So these things are now available today that can feed information to me or a database and the database can alert me when there's parameters that are elevated or abnormal and then I can do something about that. So even though I may not see you in person or even over interactive video, I may be be providing care to you by monitoring you through a systems approach of healthcare delivery and i think that's the kind of things we're going to see and really we're doing it now at UAMS but in the really not too distant future it'll be common to to do those sort of things this allows us us as healthcare providers to reach out and do things to patients even though they're not in my office or even at times not even thinking about coming to my office i can do things to to keep them healthy and out of the office and out of the hospital which is beneficial to the patient you know and and will be beneficial from cost down the road to the healthcare systems it's a very challenging profession and you get to help people you know who would want to do anything else we get to think about complex problems and make a difference in people's lives so it's a it's a great thing the birth of a child is you know, uh, probably the most significant event in a person's life. Um, so who would want to be part of something like that? You know, many people, most parents can tell you the name of their obstetrician and they can't necessarily tell you the names of school teachers or other uh, people. So, I mean, it, it is quite amazing the impact it has on people's
0: lives. As always, let's keep the conversation going. We want to hear your telehealth origin story. You can find and follow us on Twitter, at LearnTelehealth, On Facebook, the same name, Learn Telehealth. While you're there, feel free to leave a like and follow the page. If social media isn't your thing, you can always leave us an email at info at learntelehealth.org. Please visit our website, learntelehealth.org, for tools, tips, and resources to help you On your telehealth journey, that's learntelehealth.org. Thanks for listening.